Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. As a way of getting into this show, Jim, I think it's worth reminding ourselves that hate speech is protected by the First Amendment. The New a York lot of people <laughs> don't know that. Did the New York Times just say the First Amendment's overrated? <laughs> Did it? <laughs> Words cer- to that effect. I certainly hope not. But we're all about communication, about being open even to ideas that might be offensive or challenging, and that's what our show is about today. Free expression is under threat. Deb Mashek. My learning is improved when I get to engage with you because you see things differently. So it's not just that I'll tolerate the fact that you see things differently. It's that I value it because you're deepening my learning. If we're serious about wanting to solve the world's biggest problems, we need to be open to the best ideas, regardless of the ideological bends they come from. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? Today, we're going to talk about viewpoint diversity. That's the need for different perspectives to inform any important debate about values, science, philosophy, or public policy. You know, I mean, I think everybody knows that most colleges skew to the left, but there's actually data on this showing that the average college professor has become typically much more liberal than they were 25 years ago. Yeah, and unlike racial diversity, which has been taken very seriously in recent years on many college campuses, viewpoint and intellectual diversity often are not considered a necessary part of a well-rounded education. So we're going to talk about that. Yeah, and there's this really cool organization called the Heterodox Academy, which is leading the fight. Deb Mashek joins us at our table. She's the first executive director of the Heterodox Academy, fairly new on her job. And for 13 years, Deb was a professor of psychology at Harvey Mudd College in California. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Now, some people might say, right, there's not that much viewpoint diversity on my campus, but why should there be? So it's convenient, right? Like if people don't believe what I believe, they're wrong and therefore I don't need their perspectives here. But what we know is that when you have viewpoint diversity within the context of intellectual humility, curiosity, and empathy, you get this thing called constructive disagreement. Here's the beauty of it. When you and I disagree, my learning is improved when I get to engage with you because you see things differently. So it's not just that I'll tolerate the fact that you see things differently. It's that I value it because you're deepening my learning. 
And when students check out of discourse because they fear censure, so when they're like, well, never mind, I'm not going to ask that question in class. I'm not going to share that comment in class. Not only is their learning undermined, the learning of the rest of us in the class is also undermined. So you're saying it's not just, oh, let's all learn to be more tolerant and open-minded. You're saying that even on a specific topic, you learn that issue better if you're confronted with some viewpoints on the issue that you might not agree with. Exactly. And if, you know, if you're, say, a researcher who really cares about poverty, for instance, you've decided to dedicate your life's work to understanding poverty, to totally understand any topic, we need to look at it from all the different facets. And to do that, you need the people in the world and in the conversation who see things differently than you do. That's how we're going to solve the world's biggest problems. And, and, and it's not just a matter of balance between right and left. I mean, when I was at school, Years ago, I went to school in England at the University of Sussex, which was definitely more left than most places. But there was a huge amount of disagreement among people of various left-wing views. And so there was the a Trotskyites sense, and the Stalinists just never get along. No, that's they? right. And they didn't. And there were huge, furious arguments between them. But that actually contributed to some viewpoint diversity because you did have this very lively intellectual debate between people who were moderately left and extremely and, left. And let me ask, was it fun? Yes, yeah. it was fun. You say lack of ideological diversity on American college campuses has undermined their core academic mission. Why? It's a big claim. So let's start first about what is the academic mission of a college and university? And it's twofold. One is to advance education. This is where we engage in the processes of teaching and learning. And then there's also advancing knowledge. This is where we engage in research and scholarship. And those two things, education and the creation of knowledge benefit in spaces of open inquiry, where we're allowed to ask questions, a range of questions, we're allowed to pursue a range of ideas without fear of censure for stepping outside of some preordained space of these are the allowed questions um, and areas. And do we have a sense that people do fear that they're going to be censured if their politics or viewpoints don't conform with the mainstream on their campuses? We do. I wanted to start first by sharing some data from the Campus Expression Survey, which is one of the tools we've created at Heterodox Academy. And what we have is a sample of about 1,300. It's a non-random, non-representative sample. But what we know from that, from these students, is that they are afraid to talk about race, gender, um, and politics, and that this is especially true for moderate and conservative students. It's not something we see among the more liberal students. But there are colleges that are more conservative. There are religious institutions. There are colleges on the right as well as on the left. Absolutely. And so one of the things to think about there is within any institution, do you see what we call viewpoint diversity? And viewpoint diversity is very basically, like when you have a group or a community where the individuals are approaching the questions and their problems from a range of perspectives, that's a good thing. So personally, I would have the same concern, say on a religious campus where viewpoint diversity doesn't exist or isn't encouraged, you're also going to get orthodoxies there. So how did this happen? How did colleges get so left-leaning. I mean, if you look at the numbers and the, you know, the people who contribute to Republican versus Democratic candidates, it's just overwhelming. It's not 60-40. It's like 98-2 or something. Well, you're, some talking, you're talking about faculty as opposed I'm to I'm talking about faculty, right, yes. Right. Yeah, how did it get like that? 
So if you look at the data from about 1990 to 2014, you see this increase in the number of faculty who self-identify as liberal or left, and you see a corresponding decrease, not just in people who are identifying as conservative, but also who are identifying as moderate. And one argument might be, well, the meaning of those words has actually changed. And so political scientist Sam Abrams up at Sarah Lawrence, he, he looked at the data out in the general population. Do we also see that, that drift toward liberalism? And you don't. And so then the question is, well, what's happening on colleges and universities to kind of help drive this, this spike? And you know, I, I, I don't necessarily know. I, I can't identify all the, all the causes and whatnot. But what I do know is that means those of us who are on colleges and universities who are making hiring decisions, you know, we're doing the very human thing of having preference for people who look like us and who think like us. And, and then once that snowball starts, you can imagine how that might create this, this preponderance. Make the case for why this actually matters to society at large. I mean, at least in my experience, a lot of young people tend to be left and they get older and their opinions frequently moderate. So my thinking on this, if we're serious about wanting to solve the world's biggest problems, we need to be open to the best ideas, regardless of the ideological bends they come from. Now, in order for our students to be able to engage with all those ideas from all those different ideological bends, they need to have some fluency with them and not just caricatures of like, oh, the conservatives believe this, the libertarians believe this, but have actually had a chance to play with the ideas and to engage with other people who believe those ideas with authenticity. Well, I think a really interesting point, which comes out in many of these debates, is that when President Obama was was in office or Bill Clinton was in office, many in the left looked at states' rights with much greater skepticism than they do today. Now it's like, oh, presidential overreach. And the same thing's true with conservatives, that, that conservatives, when, when Obama was president, wanted to strictly limit executive power, and now they're much happier with that. It's interesting how many people's viewpoints are somewhat transactional, depending on who's in power. And yet, they may not recognize that hypocrisy themselves. Exactly. This is one reason... To your point, Deb, that that having somebody call you out, that your own positions aren't consistent, you might not even notice it if you and your friends all feel the same way. Yeah, and I guess by having somebody else in the room who sees things differently, that person can say, you know what, there's an inconsistency there. Or pointing out, let's do pointing out, pointing out the inconsistency helps you figure out what was the nuance, what was I thinking, what was my frame of reference there versus in that other situation. Let's go to a more personal point, which is, why did you leave Harvey Mudd College as a tenured professor in psychology with a, with a, with a pretty good life and, and moved all the way across the country to become executive director of the Heterodox Academy? Wow, yeah. So here I am, full professor of psychology. I've been in my dream job for 13 years. I love my colleagues. I love my students. I love Southern California. It's paradise. And I'm walking away from it to be here. And the question, as you said, is why I was seeing things, not just in, certainly not just in my my classroom um, or on my campus, but across the colleges that I had exposure to that made me scratch my head and say, wait, where is this going? What's happening? And then I found Heterodox Academy, and I realized this was not just something happening within my local space. And and what was it that was happening in your local space that troubled you? The timber of conversations in class in particular changed. 
students were no longer asking each other questions. They were no longer pushing for clarification. Um, there was a lot more of like, it's okay that we disagree on this. It's, well, let's just agree to disagree. And things felt really flat. I started changing up my reading. I started changing up my pedagogies, thinking it must be something I'm doing. And I wasn't able to, to reignite that excitement, that crucible of open inquiry. Could you give us an example of what was uncomfortable? So one of my favorite examples comes from um, a young woman, a social justice activist. She, at one point, um, watched a film about the men's rights movement, and she realized that she agreed with what was being said in, in this film, but she realized she could not explore, or she felt she could not explore any of these ideas within her social justice community on campus. And so what she did was um, set up a, an avatar for online communities so she could go have a real exploration of these ideas. And that breaks my heart as an educator because it means that our classrooms were not set up as a place for her to explore why she believed what she believed, what the um, kind of what the extensions of those ideas might be out, out in the real world. So her learning couldn't take place in our classroom. So she had to invent a fake version of herself in order to have a conversation about a set of ideas, that men's rights ideas that might run counter to sort of mainstream feminism. Yeah, and, and the fear, when I asked her what would, what would be the consequences, she's like, oh, I, I worry I would get dragged, and I hadn't heard that word. I was like, what does that mean? And she thought um, the risk was that every social media post she had ever made would be combed through by these peers and would be broadcast and made public. And oh, it, other times it, that she'd also stepped over the line and yeah, said something that it would be a public shaming um, practice. Uh, another student shared, uh, he's fluent in Chinese. He shared that whenever he really wants to talk about politics or talk about what he really feels, he'll do it in Chinese to um, reduce the risk that any other student would hear him and that he would suffer the consequences of it. Um, another student shared with me that when um, when people are saying things in class that she doesn't agree with, she could choose to raise her hand, but it's not worth the risk. Silence is safer. Those were Those were her words. Silence is safer. Silence is safer. Are words such as bigot, fascist, racist more common now as, as put-downs than they used to be, do you think? I think, they, I think we throw them around a lot, um, and I think we, we lose the nuance of what those words mean when they're yeah. used without discretion. I think when we're able to paint any group of people with such a broad brush where it, it's dehumanizing, it's othering, it's distancing. Those are exactly the sorts of things that make it easier to, to vilify the quote-unquote opponent or the, the enemy. It seems like there's a widespread field of, of politics, and, and maybe on both sides, but you see it a lot on the left. It's not about, let's analyze this policy and see if it works to achieve a certain end, but more, let's see if we can figure out why this group of people supports this policy because it'll prove that they support it because they're evil. They'll support it because they hate poor people or they'll support it for their homophobic or whatever the thing might be. And once you've decided that they're evil, then you don't have to actually analyze the policy anymore because it's th that's beside the point. It's you've, you just use the term othering. You've othered this whole group of people. You never have to talk to them again because they're beyond the pale. They're sinful. They somehow represent a body of thought that is just unacceptable. Is that what we're seeing? Is there any sense to what I'm saying here? Yeah, it does make sense to me. And what I'm smiling about over here is I'm thinking about the role of intellectual humility. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. In all of this, as soon as we start with that place of I might be wrong. In fact, I'm wrong a lot. I know I am. I know you are too, right? This is, this is what it means to be human. Then we have to be open to the possibility that someone else might have part of the answer that they're worth engaging with. And if I decide to just label you as like, okay, you're, you're a bigot and a fascist and a racist and a misogynist, and I put you over in that bin and you're not really those things. And, and I, sh- I don't mean to say like those people don't exist because they do, but I don't think everybody is. I need to listen and engage with those ideas as well. I want to find out how we can do that. Our guest is Deb Mashek. She's the executive director of the Heterodox Academy. So you suggested that I ask you a question. Um, how do we help our students and others engage constructively with people who see the world differently than we do? Yeah, we can fix this, right? How do we fix it? I think it's about instilling and modeling and practicing the habits of heart and mind that allow for this constructive engagement across differences. So what are those habits of heart and mind? The habits of heart are really about empathy and perspective taking, just like you believe for some reason, your experiences, maybe what you've read, the people you've interacted with, what you've talked about. The same is true of people who say things differently and to to slow down your reaction a little bit to when someone sees things differently and say, tell me more about that. How did you get there? I want to know about that perspective and not judging it, not so you can then attack them and tell them why they're wrong and how they got it all wrong, but so you can understand where they're coming from. That's an act of empathy. And then on the habits of mind, this is intellectual humility and intellectual curiosity. So this whole idea again, where, sir, you know, I know I didn't get everything right. And as soon as I accept that truth, then I'm really curious about, huh, I wonder which parts I got wrong. I wonder who else might have something to add to this and giving each other the, the space to get it wrong and to not humiliate and shame people for making a wrong step or choosing a wrong word, I think sets the context in our classrooms and on our campuses for intellectual uh, humility and for this viewpoint diversity to really flourish. Aren't you partly up against the fact that it's a lot of fun to humiliate other people? And, and, you know, when people get really riled up, and again, you see it on the right and the left, and they're really angry at the other side, they're not actually unhappy about that. Tribalism is like 
belonging to a sports team, you know, it can be very gratifying. It's so how do you, true. How do you, what do you do about that? Yeah. So, I mean, we are tribal creatures. We engage in what, uh, it, what the sociologists call hiving behavior, where, you know, we come together and we buzz and there is absolutely a, a dopamine hit that comes from that. But here's the thing as individuals, we each get to choose how we're going to respond when someone from our own tribe behaves in a certain way or when someone from the other tribe behaves in a certain way, I think the world would be a better place, a more uplifted place, if we can pause and give each other the benefit of the doubt. How can humor play a role in perhaps uh, reducing the barriers between us? Humor is a great unifier, right? One of the challenges, though, is what one person finds funny, another person can find offensive. So, um, which I guess is also part of giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Like, oops, sorry, that joke landed yeah. wrong. Like Chris Rock won't, says he won't even play on college campuses anymore. He says you can't say anything. Yeah, it's hard to be funny if everything you say is, is going to end up in a tweet storm about how awful you are. So from our conversation, it strikes me there, there's maybe two main missions of the Heterodox Academy. So far, we've been focusing primarily on just the nature of discourse uh, on college campuses and, and opening up you know, avenues for better understanding. But you also really are serious about getting more intellectual diversity in the faculty. How do you do that? Do you just set quotas? We have to have X number of conservatives, or is it something more subtle than that? It's more subtle than that. So as a nonpartisan, uh, nonprofit organization, we, we it would be against our mission, actually, to say, like, oh, we have quotas, or we need a certain percentage of conservatives. What we're really about is about breaking up orthodoxy, so breaking up the idea that there's only one right way to be or to, um, or one right set of questions that you can ask on a, on a campus and whatnot. And there are some strategies that we've seen campuses use successfully, including in the job ads when you advertise for a faculty um, position to say explicitly, like, we value diverse viewpoints on our campus. We will not discriminate based on political ideology or affiliative um, relationships and, and inviting people in. And there have been some efforts around this. Tufts University announced an, an effort to increase faculty diversity. Also, Columbia University, I believe they're spending some incredible amount of money. It's like $100 million to try and, and increase diversity among the faculty. And you can imagine, so now to go back to an earlier point in our conversation, you can imagine some pipeline issues here where if the people who are making decisions about who to come into graduate school are themselves self-selecting for people who look like them, i.e. are particularly liberal or left-leaning, then the graduate students who are now on the job market are are going to look a lot like the people who educated them. Um, and, and so we need to be very deliberate starting, I think, not just in, actually not just in colleges, but starting in high schools about valuing uh, the range of ideological perspectives that are out there in the world. Which schools are doing this well? So Claremont McKenna is doing this particularly well. And in April of this year, Mitchell Langbert published some data showing the voter registration ratios of our top liberal arts colleges in the nation. And Claremont McKenna um, had a 3.7 to 1 ratio of registered Democrats to Republicans. And just as as a contrast, um, Wellesley had 136 to 1. So less than 1%. Of the faculty was identified as Republican. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually found in his um, faculty political affiliations at 39% of the colleges in his sample were Republican free. They had zero Republicans on their on their faculty. 
some liberal critics have said that the whole argument of viewpoint diversity is kind of a stalking horse for conservative viewpoints. Are most of the active professors involved in Heterodox Academy conservative? So... A, thank you for giving me a chance to mention that we're a membership organization and the faculty out there and those others who are working um, in higher ed are invited to join us. And B, the answer is no. So we have about 17% of our members, of our 2,000 members, identify as left, about 17% identify as right. We have a lot of libertarians and moderates and then this whole hodgepodge of people who are like, you can't, you can't possibly put a, put a label on me. You're the first executive director of the Heterodox Academy, and you're pretty new in your job. What are your hopes for what you or your team can achieve and how your movement can grow? So my dream is I put Heterodox Academy out of business, that we we are no longer needed. But most immediately, I'm excited about really activating our existing network of members. So historically, so much of the Heterodox Academy's work, and we're a young organization. It started as a blog in 2015. So Very young organization. We're very young. And so we've got all these people, all these members who have amazing ideas, who are trying things out on their campuses and whatnot. And I'm excited to connect them and activate them and figure out what are the best ideas, what are the problems and make sure we can share those ideas across the land. And part of what you're doing is a podcast. Tell us about that. Yes. So we have a podcast, The Half Hour of Heterodoxy, which is hosted by Chris Martin. He's a sociologist, and he brings on academics to talk about all these these topics. You spoke earlier about the kind of healthy habits of thought and, and discourse. And one of the problems we're seeing is that when people feel personally offended by something or personally traumatized by something, there is this assumption that their personal feelings must reflect a broad reality. Now, I get a chance to ask a real psychologist this. There is this field of psychology called cognitive behavioral therapy, which tries to help people become less anxious and less prone to explosive reactions by teaching them that their own personal experience doesn't always reflect reality. Is there a way to extend that thinking to help people become less emotionally self-centered? First of all, I'll give a shout out to Open Mind. So it's a platform free, available online that anyone can take that helps people go through the psychology of how it is we experience the world and why viewpoint diversity is good and how to engage with otherness. You know, one of the aspects of that platform is helping us think through how do you slow down your gut reaction and when you have that flare-up of emotion where it's like, ooh, I was just attacked, how do you change your, your cognitions? And we know from cognitive behavioral therapy that you start asking yourself questions. What else could it be? What are some other explanations? If I can um, come up with three other reasons why somebody might have said that, what would they be? Can I come up with two other re- or two other possible interpretations? And when you engage the mind, the the that affective, the emotional reaction um, quiets a little bit, gives you a little space. And I need this. Yes, I'm going I'm to take this. And we and we tend to respond more productively at that point. Deb Mashek of the Heterodox Academy. Thanks very much for joining us. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I want to start our conversation with something you probably don't agree with, Jim, and that is I think that some of the rigidity on the left and the moving to the left by 
parts of the Democratic Party is in response to what's happened on the right. And is what and, and there's been a litmus test, for instance, on abortion on the right that now has come much more into uh, the Democratic Party as well. So I'm going to try to model what Deb Mashek calls a constructive disagreement <laughs> and say that it doesn't really matter where it started. This game of, well, your side did it first is yes. part of the problem. Yes. You know, there's way too much of, well, my side is allowed to be really obnoxious because you, those other guys are even more obnoxious. We need to step back from this antagonism and yeah. and focus on what kind of society do we want to have? What kind of problems do we want to solve? And that requires a completely different skill set. And so this problem of the academy of colleges and universities is part of a much broader problem. Yeah. It's yeah. not just about what's going on in some elite private colleges somewhere. It, it's easy for people to say, oh, well, you know, who cares what's happening? I mean, something's happening at Yale or, or you know. Um, and, or, and I think I was a little bit like that. Yeah. But, but Deb especially has convinced me that this is, this is really kind of important. And ideas and styles of speech and thought that start in the academy, they filter down to everyone else. Uh, Alan Bloom wrote about this more than 30 years ago in the great book, The Closing of the American Mind, that we were becoming less tolerant of diverse ideas. And I think the hopeful thing is that, that this, this organization, Heterodox Academy, has grown pretty fast. It only started in 2015, and each year there have been real signs of it growing in size and its message getting out there more effectively. Right. And, you know, and it's, it, it goes along with a number of other organizations like All Sides Now, many things that we've covered on the podcast. I'm really proud to be part of what I think is becoming a cultural movement towards viewpoint tolerance. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. The music is by Lou Stravinsky. Our show is a production of Davies Content. If you like what you hear and you want to make a podcast with us, then get in touch. Hey, so let me interrupt you. You've been working on some really cool side projects lately. Tell us about the other podcasts you're doing. Yeah, One Day University where we interview professors, college professors, and also splice those interviews with some of their best lectures. Really interesting project that we're working on. We also have a forthcoming season coming out of A Way Home Together, which is a podcast we've been doing with the International Organization for Migration, telling personal stories of people on the move, including migrants and refugees. Definitely worth a listen. Thanks a lot for listening to this one. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.